You're listening to The Leader's Table, a podcast by Leadership for Educational Equity. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning to you, Taylor, and welcome to all you equity leaders listening out there. Of course. Welcome, everyone. We're glad to have you joining this conversation. On that note, who are we talking with today? Well, this conversation from the leader's table is a fun one because Jason reconnects with longtime friend and mentor Yolanda Caraway. With more than 30 years of experience in policymaking and project management, Yolanda has played a major role in shaping the Democratic National Party. In politics, she's done everything from being chief of staff for Jesse Jackson's second presidential run to serving as a member at the DNC and managing many aspects of several Democratic National Conventions. And this book you have here, it's hers? Yep. It's called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics, and it looks like Yolanda is one of several authors, including Donna Brazil, Leah Daughtry, and Mignon Moore. These are all incredibly powerful women. That they are. And the book is full of so many stories from their personal experiences in Washington, and it details their colored girls' dinners that the group holds with many of the country's most influential politicians in Washington. You'll hear more about that in the conversation, and you'll even get some more recent stories that the book doesn't even have. Well, I'll get this started then. Pull up a seat, everyone. This is Yolanda Caraway joining Jason Lorenz at the Leader's Table. Yolanda Caraway, welcome to the Leader's Table. Thank you for having me, Jason. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, You have inspired so many of us. You and the Color Girls, the book you put out in your life of service um, I personally have been inspired by you for over 20 years now, almost 20 years now. I want to take you back, though, to the beginning. You're 14 years old in Rochester, New York. Bobby Kennedy is running for office, and you have envelopes in your hand. What was inspiring you to be involved in politics at that time? Well, what actually inspired me was a friend of mine from, I think I was in like the ninth grade, maybe. And uh, President Kennedy had been assassinated the year before. And Bobby Kennedy was running for Senate in New York State. And um, a friend of mine said, why don't you come down and volunteer to work for Bobby Kennedy? And the thing that inspired me most was there was something to do after school and I didn't have to go home. (laughs) (laughs) I was not a happy camper at home. So anything to get me out of the house, I would do. But I found a passion that I didn't know existed. Um, I always wanted, I wanted a career doing something where I would help people. I wanted to be a doctor until I was a candy striper. I think that Sunday, that summer. And uh, first time I saw blood, I just, that was it. There was no way that was going to happen. No medical career for me. Then I wanted to be a social worker, a psychiatric social worker. Um, But I think that summer gave me a whole new insight into something I could do to help people that was very important. I never understood, um, I guess I never really understood what politics was. And and basically all it is 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 getting something done. I I learned that. I mean, I I started out and I licked envelopes and I made phone, they graduated into making phone calls. And then I graduated in going out and knocking on doors and actually could explain um, the issues and why he was running. So that was my first foray into politics. And that was kind of where I got bitten by the bug. And so I always, until I got a real job, I always volunteered to work on 
campaigns, uh, campaigns for people I really believed in. And um, I still do to this day. So what's the path from licking envelopes at 14 in Rochester to sitting for dinner with every Democratic presidential candidate of our, of our, of our lives? Wow. That's a good question, Jason. <laughs> um, well, I think I was trying to tell somebody this not too long ago. The, the, it's a path. I mean, you start. But if you know what you want to do, it's great. If you don't want to, if you don't know what you want to do, it's also great because you can learn a lot. I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned, and I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I was good at strategy. I learned that I could ask people for money. <laughs> you know, I could knock on doors and explain things to people. You know, all the things you need in campaigning and in, in you know having a political career. So, and and I was good at it. And I liked it. I loved it. And I can't think of anything else I love doing better. I mean, I love my work that I do, but I still, you know, politics is still my number one passion. And did you grow up in a political family? Uh, not, no, no, not my parents, but my sister, uh, my sister's husband, yes. He was probably my biggest inspiration. He was uh, a minister um, in Baltimore and he ran for political office and he was a state legislator. And I read, that was my first real job. And I ran his office in Annapolis. I heard Jesse Jackson one time call you Dr. Caraway. Oh, he calls everybody doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but you played a pretty, pretty important role in a historical, in a historic political campaign. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I'm trying to think when I met Reverend Jackson in 84 after um, the Democratic convention and they had a big, oh, I actually wound up putting it together. I, I was working at the DNC and then I got, uh, I went over to work for Ernie Green on the Mondale campaign. And the first big thing we, first big job we had to do was to put together a, a black leadership meeting with Mondale in uh, St. Paul, I guess it was. We had to put together this meeting. And I met, I met like, I met Jesse at this, well, actually we had the meeting and we were at a hotel in St. Paul and Jesse was at Mondale's house. <laughs> so, so after that, he court, he courted, he was he courted me and Michael Frazier to come and work for him. And I was working at the DNC. Um, I had something at the DNC I had to finish first, which was the um, I was director of the Fairness Commission, which is something that came out of that campaign. Uh, it's the rules committee, and every four every presidential election cycle, the rules committee decides what the rules will be for the next presidential election cycle. So I was the executive director of the rules committee and there were some um, mandates that uh, one thing Jesse got out of that, that with was changing the way we elected uh, delegates from winner take all to proportional representation, which changed like the whole thing. What do you think is uh what do you think is most important about the Reverend Jackson's multiple runs for office, for runs for the presidency? How did that well, change our politics? Oh, my God. I mean, it's, you're still seeing ways. I mean, Barack Obama would not, I don't believe Barack, Barack Obama would never have been elected if, if Jesse hadn't run. I mean, so many, 
so many things have happened. So many people, when you when you look at that period, like after 1988, well, let me tell you a story. So in the 1984, at the 1984 convention, I worked for the DNC and I was a floor whip for the um, Eastern region. And I will never forget, remember after Jesse gave his speech, they played Love Train and we were all dancing around the, the floor and I was talking to Bill Gray and he says, I'm gonna run for budget chair. If Jesse can do this, I can run for budget chairman. And it just popped up everywhere. It's like, Jesse can do this, I can run for mayor. If Jesse can do this, I can run for something else. I mean, I'm gonna run for, everybody started running for office. And by 1988, there was a black mayor heading up almost every major city in the country. Between that and like, you know, a couple years afterwards. I mean, you just saw a transformation. I mean, just go back and look at the numbers. And it was it made a huge difference. And people started speaking up where they didn't before. I mean, it was like, you know, you saw a credible, um, a, cre a credible candidate that could hold his own in debates. We had a credible campaign. We actually raised real money. We did real media. We did everything that the real campaigns did. We were a real campaign. Yeah. And he and went to the went to the convention. Um, it changed. It changed black politics forever. What do you, what did you see in the the decade following the Reverend Jackson's run in '88 that made you know that something changed? Something changed in that year. Well, they, you know, they started listening to us. I mean, like, I think, I think every, the Congressional Black Caucus had more stature. The DNC Black Caucus had more stature. The National Association of Black State Legislators had more stature. You know, I think that, I think they really started paying more attention to us. I want to talk a little bit about, um, Talk a little bit about what it's what it's like to sit with presidential candidates. What are the what's a colored girls dinner with a presidential candidate look like? So colored girls dinners there there are the rule the rules are you have to come by yourself, no staff. Um, you have to pay for it, uh, and everything is off the record. So we can talk about anything, and we do talk about anything. Anything and everything. I'll never forget Chris Dodd. He wanted to go hang out afterwards. I mean, he said, I want to do this again. <laughs> and Mark Warner, we had like two or three dinners with him. <laughs> and he still calls on us. <laughs> what was dinner with Barack Obama like? All right. That was the one different one. <laughs> so he bought a staff member, which he wasn't supposed to do. He did pay. Um... But it was really interesting. I mean, I, th I think he thought he was going to come into a room with like, I don't know, there may have been like eight of us there or whatever. Um, black women who were going to be completely enamored of him. And we weren't. Um, so we asked him, we, we always ask the same questions every time. And we all like each person has a question that they deal with. But we always ask the same, everyone the same questions. And I can't remember who it was. I think it was Leah asked him how he was going to deal with the issue of race. And he said, 
and it's in the book, race will not be an issue. We're, we, we, we've moved beyond that. I know, I said, I beg to differ with you, Senator. I worked for Jesse Jackson, 88. You're not going to tell me the race is not going to be an issue. What was your question? Uh, why do you want to run for president? That was always mine. Why do you want to run for president? What's your favorite answer that you've gotten from, uh, from anyone over the years? They're all pretty much the same. You know, they're all pretty standard. It's probably a dumb question because you know they're all going to say the same because I want to make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about dinner with Hillary Clinton, um, the, the last color girl's dinner before she launched the second run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because this was in 08. Yeah, 08, when she ran in 08. Yeah. Um, I think hers was the last one we did, actually. But it was like, it's like, we all knew Hillary. It was like having dinner with a girlfriend. You know, she's going to drink. We're going to swear. We're going to talk about stuff. <laughs> and there was, but I remember one, one question from that dinner. Deborah Lee asked, um, Deborah Lee, who was uh, CEO of BET at the time, and was really struggling. Um, because she knew Hillary and she wanted to support Hillary, but she also wanted to support Obama because she ran a black TV station. What was she supposed to do? And she basically asked that. She said, it's going to be really hard for some of us because, you know, how we know you and we love you and we think you'd be great, but this is also an opportunity where there might be the first black president. What do we do? And she was really very thoughtful and very understanding about that. She answered it, you know, she answered it very well. She said, I totally, I totally get that. You know, and that's that's a that's a choice that you're going to have to make. Mm. But she said, I do understand it and I would never hold it against anybody. Mm. What will the color girls dinner look like in the next uh, in this cycle and, and the next one? Um, we did this cycle. The favorite one was Kamala. She did dinner at her. She cooked dinner for us at her house. Oh, that's cool. It was amazing. What, was that like? <laughs> what did she cook? Oh, my God. She made this dish. This uh, it was a uh, it must have been Jamaican, uh, but it was like a pork dish in a stew kind of thing. I don't know what it was called, but it was the best thing I've ever had in my life. And she also grilled a whole salmon that was perfectly cooked. Nobody ever makes it perfect the way I like, but it was perfectly cooked. And it was just it was be the table setting was beautiful. She gave us all these little I don't know if you saw her her fearless hats. And um, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. I said, Kamala, I said, why, why, why don't you let us, I, I need to do something. Aren't you supposed to be running for president or something? Why are you doing this? Why did you have it catered? <laughs> and she, but she's, she's just like me. She loves to cook and she loves to entertain. So she said, I, I, she said, I would never have you come to my home the first time and not cook for you. Mm. And I said, I'm like that too. So I, I mean, I get it, but I, I'm not running for president. I'm not a senator. So I, Yolanda, you are a treasure. Thank you so much for joining the Leader Stable podcast. Thank you for having me, Jason. So good to see you. Once again, that was Jason Lorenz at the Leader's Table with Yolanda Caraway. That was great, Cindy. I thought it was interesting that Yolanda, someone who was involved in historic presidential campaigns and even organized the massive Democratic National Convention, would also find ways to bring people around a dinner table for more intimate conversation. I totally agree. And it's such an interesting example of how working in government and politics is so much more than what we see on TV with politicians standing around just making speeches. 
It's about having conversations, exploring ideas, knowing, and listening to your own community. I think I'll pick up a copy of For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics for Myself and include a link to the book in the show notes for the listeners. It sounds like there's a lot more about the world of politics that we could all learn from her experience. I'm guessing that's probably the case. Jason will actually be interviewing several of the other women who co-authored the book with Yolanda, so as a loyal listener, you'll also get access to some other exclusive conversations. Great, something to look forward to. And listeners, please stick around after the break. We've got a nice treat for you today. We've actually got a reading of an excerpt from the book that I think you will all enjoy. Then, as per usual, we've also got another story, but this time it's from you about how you as Lee members are making an impact in your own communities. Hang tight, everyone. We'll be back shortly with the reading from For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics. Hello, everyone. My name is Abba Fua, and I am a policy and advocacy coordinator at Lee. I lead Lee's efforts to connect members with roles in advocacy, organizing, and policy. And one of the ways we connect members with impactful roles is through Lee's job board. The job board is a curated list of employers from across the country who are looking to hire equity-minded talent like Lee members for their available positions. Hundreds and hundreds of Lee members have landed amazing roles through the job board from entry-level roles like policy analyst or program manager to high-level senior leadership roles like executive director or superintendents. You should go straight to educationalequity.org slash job hyphen board to see the remarkably impactful roles that the Lee Job Board has listed right now. Or maybe you're already employed, but you have a position that needs to be filled. The job board is perfect for you, too. Come on over to educationalequity.org slash job hyphen board, and we'll connect you to the right people right away. The following is an excerpt from For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics, written by Donna Brazil, Yolanda Carraway, Leah Daltrey, and Mignon Moore. From Chapter 16, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and the Colored Girls. We did not expect that four years after working with Hillary Clinton to get Barack Obama elected to the U.S. Senate, we would find Clinton and Obama running against each other for the Democratic nomination. But when that moment came, we invited both the candidates to dinner. Mignon notes that, as time went on, some of the dinners we would open to a large group of Black women. That was especially true for then-Senator Obama and Senator Clinton. Women like then-Chairman and CEO of BET, Deborah Lee, and prominent attorney Florence Prialu were regulars. She adds, we really wanted to bring other African-American women to the dinners, not as much for our benefit as for the benefit of the potential candidates. Each of the women had their own sphere of influence, social, political, economic, and geographic. They could be an important resource for any candidate as the candidates moved around the country during their campaigns. We always made the point to the candidates that they should consider these women as resources and reach out to them for advice, suggestion, and connection to other folks. 
Leah remembers that the Hillary dinner had so many guests that we had to have the restaurant expand the usual table to accommodate the number. We were in a big square with Hillary sitting between Maggie Williams and Mignon. The evening was light and enjoyable. There was no subject that Hillary couldn't discuss in depth. That night, she easily navigated between being a policy wonk and being a girlfriend. She was completely and totally at ease. In the after dinner conversation, all the women agreed that they were wowed by her intellect and her ease. It was clear that she would be a great president and that many would have signed on her campaign that night if there had been a campaign. She hadn't declared her candidacy yet. Over dinner, Hillary drank a gin and tonic and ordered what the colored girls called a big old steak. She also cut right to the chase and said, I want your support and I'll do what I need to do to get it. Mignon says of Clinton, make no mistake about it, she wowed us effortlessly. A true connection was made with the expanded group of black women. Hillary was, as they say, comfortable in her own skin. This type of setting wasn't new to her. She knew many of the women at the dinner. Maybe history was unbroken continuity. Her mentors and friends were Marion Wright Edelman, Dorothy Height, and Dr. Maya Angelou. So many of us shared that bond. Hillary's longtime friend and chief of staff at the White House was Maggie Williams, our friend and colleague of many years. When she took her seat, she didn't feel like a stranger at the table. There was a round of drinks, laughs, and then down to business. I think what surprised many was Hillary's depth of knowledge and her command of the issues. Seriously smart. Eerily smart. Was she too smart? Was America ready for the first woman president? Well, you couldn't help but ask the question. We wondered how she would deal with the sexism and the misogynistic behavior. Unfortunately, being smart couldn't shield her from the deep-seated fears and hatred that were yet to come. Hillary was being touted as the front runner. Maybe it was an idea whose time had come. I think in many ways, the woman that sat with us at the dinner table was more hopeful and full of life. She had a certain confidence in her tone. While she wasn't born for this, she was certainly prepared to take on one of the great challenges of her life. At least we thought so. There's no doubt she would have been a superb and even a phenomenal president. I would say after the dinner, many people were leaning toward Hillary. I remember one of the women pulling me aside and saying, I think I will go with Obama. I think we need to be in all camps. As the race got underway, there was nothing in those dinners that prepared us for seeing young men standing up in audiences and yelling, Hillary, will you iron my shirts? Or holding up vulgar, degrading signs. Nothing in those dinners would have told us that Hillary would be running against a young black man whose hopeful message was inspiring a new generation to get involved. At those dinners, we could not foresee history about to collide or race and gender being put on display in ways we could never have imagined. We had no roadmap to deal with these two historic and emotional touch points. Hey everyone, thanks for sticking around with us. This Members in Action report starts with a Lee member who has taken his leadership to new levels by doing the important work of advocating for people in need across the country. 
I'm Dominique Warren. I'm currently the Deputy Director of Government Relations at Service Employees International Union, a 2.3 million member union um, that represents healthcare workers, nurses, um, people that work in education, janitors, um, and other service employee workers across the country. Dominic started his professional career as an educator in Chicago and then got pulled into the world of national politics, working as the legislative director for the recently elected and infamous member of the squad, Representative Rashida Talib from Michigan. And, you know, in that role, you know, I developed, you know, her policy and legislative uh, platforms that she that we put forth in legislation on the Hill. You know, really, you know, some of the things that I learned on there was, you know, we have to, you know, you have to be have a long term vision, and a long term vision on what we call the kind of progressive agenda, uh, even the playing field for working families, for for the working poor, for the for the impoverished, for the disabled. His time working closely with Representative Talib, helping to organize her agenda, staff, and legislative action in Congress ultimately led Dominic to his current position as the Deputy Director of Government Relations at SEIU, where he now spends time working on projects related to the environment, public health, and supporting members with the issues related to the COVID-19 pandemic. We are um, kind of using our full union kind of power to advocate for COVID relief. Um, and that's really, you know, our protect all workers agenda. And so every day we're working on all those things, reaching out to congressional members, reaching out to the to senators, um, as well as reaching out to state and local officials on what they need um, to fight this pandemic. With all that's going on in the world, Dominic counts himself fortunate that he is uniquely positioned to help so many people in the midst of these frustrating times. I think it's really understanding families and kind of the things that families go through. You know, my, my insight from my teaching days is that, like, I know that this pandemic is affecting, you know, our children in so many different ways. The frustration lies in th there's a group of elected officials that aren't really hearing how serious this is to these individuals in our community, whether they're teachers or nurses or families. You know, it's frustrating and um, it. it you know, and it enrages me, but it also fills me up with like a with a with the energy that I like. I have to keep going and keep working for them. Once again, that was Lee member Dominic Warren from Washington D.C. If you want to find out more about him or other Lee members who are making a difference in their communities, head on over to the show notes at educationalequity.org/leaders-table. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, think about sharing it with a friend or colleague or just leaving us a review. You can be alerted of new episodes by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And before I forget, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got something to share, please write to us at leaderstable at educationalequity.org. Our show is hosted by Jason Lorenz, Taylor Stewart, and myself, Cindy Centeno. This episode was edited by Nolan Peters and written and produced by Graham Forden. A special thank you to Atira Griffin for her reading from the book for colored girls who have considered politics. I'm Cindy, and thanks for pulling up a seat at the leader's table. Be well, stay safe, and until next time.